How's it going today, everybody? Doing all right? It's good to see all of you here. Welcome to Northwood Church. My name is Jordan. I'm the senior pastor here at Northwood Church, and uh, we're just excited that all of you are here today. Come on, we are, uh, we are maneuvering our lives through this pandemic, and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I just feel like there's like a light at the end of the tunnel. You know what I'm saying? Am I the only one that feels... So, so typically, typically for me, I'm the pessimist. You know what I'm saying? I'm the pessimist of the family and every. But man, I'm trying to be optimistic, and I need I need some support from you guys. Come on, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Come on, come on. So it's good to be with all of you here today. We are starting our new series in the book of James, uh, which we are very, very excited about. We're going to be walking through the book of the uh, book, the book of the James, uh, for the next the next three the next three months. And so, um, so I want to encourage all of you over the next even few weeks that man, really spend some extra time in the book of James. You know, m- my goal is that as we come together each week, that the the, the pump would already be primed in your heart and in your life of uh, of reading through the book of James and that you would, would come not with just a um, kind of like, hey, hey, just teach me something, but you would come with some investment into the week, right? And so if we're reading together and if we're studying together, I believe that it'll be even a, a better result on the other end of this series of our understanding of the book of James and also applying the book of James to our lives. And so I'm excited about that. But before we jump into today's message, I wanted to just take a couple of minutes and I wanted to appreciate all of, the, uh, all of you who serve and some who are serving today on all of our teams here at Northwood Church, just in case you don't know, um, really nothing can happen here at Northwood Church without uh, the hundreds of volunteers, hundreds of people who literally give of their time and their energy and their lives to, to support not just like the ministry of Northwood Church, but literally to serve Jesus in practical ways. And um, we have many different teams. We, we, uh, we have a lot of uh, guest services or, or hospitality teams. Teams, people who, uh, man, come on, today when you drove in, you saw the parking lot team out there. Uh, they're not there just for show. Literally without them, um, not always coming in, but definitely leaving would be chaotic and horrible, especially whenever we get back to two services. Come on, if you were here whenever we had two services, you know that it's literally impossible. We would sit here for, I mean, it, we'd have to have an hour between services just because we wouldn't have people being able to get in and out. Plus, it's a safety concern. So, but our parking lot team, we have our, our cafe team who serves you coffee. If you were here first Wednesday last week, you know that sometimes that can even distract you from worship, right? All right, those of you that you got that one, or you might have watched online. But uh, also our, our kids' ministries. Come on, y'all. Can we give it up for our kids' ministries? So grateful for, for them. Actually, today my wife is serving uh, in the kids' ministry today. And come on, look, uh, one time a few years ago, we had a family Wednesday night. We had a family first Wednesday night. How many of y'all were here for the family first Wednesday? And it was a, it was a wonderful time. Wonderful time. We had a lot of fun, but we had no kids ministries that night. So we had infants all the way, just all the way up in here with us. And um, uh, I preached for about 15 minutes because that's all I, I could like focus. It was, it, was, it was crazy. I mean, the sound of joy and laughter was so abundant that night um, that it was literally impossible to focus. And so we love our kids and that's why we put so much time and energy into creating an environment just for them. Um, but man, we have so many other teams. I mean, you guys saw the worship team here today. Uh, you wouldn't be able to see or hear them though if it wasn't for the production team, which is kind of like the, just the booth in the back. Come on, thank you guys. <laughs> 
There's an even more obscure booth in behind the glass window back there, and there's other people back there who make it happen. I see a hand waving. But, um, but there, there's so many other teams I could go on through. I'm in our small group team, uh, all of the leaders that, that help to, uh, to facilitate small groups. But there's, there's many, there's greeter teams. There's just, there's all sorts of people. And, uh, and I just wanna appreciate you and let you know how much we as a, as a pastoral team even appreciate you um, and all that you do. And, uh, and I also wanna encourage those of you who have been around for a while, maybe you're, you've been kicking the tires, you know, kind of seeing if this is the place for you. If this is your church, then I really believe that we should all be investing our lives into our church, you know? The way that I look at it is this, it's sort of like if, uh, you know, as a family, you, you sit around the dinner table and you eat together. Um, but whenever it's time to clean up, yeah, you know, everybody pick up their own plate. You know what I'm talking about? And uh, every now and then we get it from the table and we leave, we'll, we'll leave like a plate or two or a cup. And uh, my wife is like, <clears throat> you know, you going to pick that up or what? Oh, my bad, my bad. But why? Because it's our family. It's our home. That's my table. That's her table. That's our kid's table. That's, it's all of our table. And so this is all of our church, okay? This is our church family. And so we want to invest into one another. And, um, and so I just want to encourage you in that as well. But can we give it up one big time for all of our teams? Come on. All of you who are serving, thank you so much. Really appreciate you. So the book of James. How many of you today, you've never, or, or you have, like, you've really never read the book of James? Come on. Anybody in here, like, you never really read? That's fine. It's like, nothing to be embarrassed about. You know, it's fine. Is that? It is. Ben, what's up, man? You raised your hand and it drew attention. It is good to see you, man. <laughs> Every now and then you see a familiar face you haven't seen in a while. It's like, wait. Um, but yeah, maybe not ever read through the book of James. And there's a lot of books, I'm sure, last night um, I was talking to Ariana. She's my nine-year-old, and she was flipping through this Bible she has, and she saw the book of Habakkuk. And she tried to say the word Habakkuk. I don't know what she said, but it was probably borderline a cuss word. I don't know. <laughs> it was like, oh, don't say that again, you know. But uh, you never read that book before. You know, there's a lot of books that you look through and you maybe haven't read them, but man, there's such a wealth of knowledge in them. And, and I think sometimes we know those key verses. We know those key scriptures. But man, we want to really methodically move through books uh, of the Bible. We don't, we don't teach through books of the Bible uh, nonstop here at Northwood Church, but we love to take from time to time each year a couple of books and really move through them. So, so for right now, uh, for this next three months, it's going to be the book of, book of James. So, so today, we are not going to be jumping into the book of James. However, before we get into the book of James, what we want to look at today is the context of James. We, today's kind of more of an introduction to the book of James, because here's the deal. Sometimes we just jump into a book, and we, we don't understand who's writing it, why they wrote it. it. It's the same reason why every book that you pick up, uh, Christian or secular, it doesn't matter, fiction, nonfiction, many times there's an introduction, right? Maybe it's an introduction to the author, or maybe it's an introduction to why they even wrote this book, and a lot of times what they say in that introduction, it, it frames up or it positions you to truly understand what the book is about. And if you don't read that introduction, you sort of, you sort of try, you're trying to figure it out as you go. And so these books, there's an author to these books. There's a reason that they wrote these books. There's a certain audience that they wrote these books to. Uh, the, the, the culture that's going on in that time is so important too for us to understand because if we don't understand those things or have some sort of idea, we can only read it through our own filter. 
which is America 2021, you know, and, and that's just not, that's just not proper. And so we want to take a week today and spend some time looking at, uh, at James. Now we're coming out of the family talk series. So we talked about the family uh, last month and really into January as well, our church family and also our, uh, our, our family at our homes. And what, we're going to kind of jump into the book of James, but, but with that, did you, did you guys know that, know that Jesus had a family? Right? Jesus had a family. I know some of you might think that he was just a lone ranger. No, no, he had a family and uh, he had several brothers and sisters as well. Right? He had brothers and sisters. And so uh, if we look into a couple of scriptures here, we'll see some of these brothers of Jesus. Uh, Acts 1.14 says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In Matthew, we see, uh, they say, is, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And are not all of his sisters with us? And then in Galatians 1.19, we see, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. So Jesus had a family and, and he had brothers and sisters. And I think that it was probably a strange family dynamic. I mean, come on. Like for some of you, you might have like a, a brother or a sister or maybe your parents, super successful, really, really good at what they do or, you know, maybe really good character, but, but none of us were, were related to Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it'd be, it'd be tough to be Jesus' brother. I mean, it'd be really tough. And, and actually, to kind of prove that point, I wanted to show a video to you to kind of give you, maybe frame up that thought for you, what it would be like to be Jesus' little brother. So let's go ahead and roll that. I like reading the Bible. I was reading the Bible, found out, uh, found out Jesus had a little brother. Anybody know his name? James. When I read that, I was like, how much pressure was that? <laughs> Jesus, your big brother? How many times do you have to hear, why come you can't be more like Jesus, James? Because <laughs> you know, everybody probably thought that James could do the same thing Jesus could do, but he couldn't. He was just James. He wasn't James Christ. Remember the wedding banquet? Jesus turned water into wine. Everybody was amazed, but they don't tell you about the next banquet. Jesus left early. They started running out of wine. Everybody looked at James. It's like, man, last time this happened, your brother made some wine, dude. You, you just gonna stand there with your sandals on? You're not gonna... Can you make some Kool-Aid or something, man? You're not gonna do anything? And you know, James had problems just like any other kid had problems. He would try to follow his big brother around. So everywhere Jesus went, James followed him. That's what little brothers do. So if Jesus went there, so did James. I bet one time, James almost drowned. <laughs> oh, you just got that joke just now, didn't you? Jesus walked on water and James tried to just move. I'm sure James had problems. He would go to his parents with his problems. And his parents, especially his, his mom, was trying to throw him a bone once in a while. They'd pray over their food. 
We're like, Lord, we just thank you for this food. In James' name. <laughs> the, the point is that it would be tough to be Jesus' little brother. You know what I'm saying? Constantly being, being compared to him. But um, he, had a, he had a family. And um, we're going to kind of lean into talking a little bit about what it must have been like and, and even the difficulty that Jesus' family had in, in really believing Jesus. But, but today, I want to look at, at this man, James. James, the brother of Jesus, who most theologians believe wrote the book of James. Most do. And uh, so he's the, the author of the book of James. And I want to look at James' life. And then I want to look at James' letter. And then we're going to look at James' Lord. So to this first section, let's look at James' life. He was not only Jesus' brother, but was a major leader of the early church. You can see in Acts 12, 15, and 21, where James is mentioned in, uh, as, a, as a prominent leader in the church. And what was really going on is that the Messianic Jews were experiencing a lot of persecution in Jerusalem. And obviously, if, you know, if, if you've read a lot of the New Testament, you know that there was so much tension between the Jews and the Gentiles, and, and then also between Jews who were accepting Jesus and those who were not. There was just great division among them. And so actually in Acts 7, you can see where Stephen, another uh, prominent church leader, was martyred. And then at that point, uh, the church really kind of a lot of the church fled that area because they were experiencing such persecution and it's really referred to as the great dispersion uh and and so the church just just disperses all over the place but James remains and builds the church there in Jerusalem and uh, so he was a prominent Jew and, and really held to the law a lot which is kind of how he wrote this book of the book of James but um but he was a great leader but he was so committed. I, I have a lot of respect for those uh, people who, when times were tough or it was tough in a certain area, that they wouldn't just leave, but they would actually like double down. You know, we see that with James. We see that with other men in the Bible where they actually went to the places that were the most difficult to go. They spoke to the people that were the most difficult to speak to and because uh, God had called them to, to specifically um, to be there and to, you know, risk their life for the cause of Christ. And so that's what the book of James is a, is a letter to the Messianic Jews in Jerusalem. So that right there should sort of help you understand who he's writing it to and, and the type of the feel that was going on in that time. You know, today, if somebody was to write a book uh, to the church in the United States, it would have a certain tone to it. It would focus on certain things that maybe we aren't either doing well or maybe there's some things coming in, in, in the distance that, that people would write to. And I think, you know, pastors sort of do that uh, to a certain extent every single week. What it is is God speaks to them and then they share a message to the body of Christ. And sometimes that message has different approaches, right? And so when we look at James' letter, we look at James' letter, we can see that it was written in, uh, well, it's, it's, it's around AD 40, 50, maybe in the 60s even. So it's one of the earliest writings in the New Testament. Um, in case you didn't know, the Bible, even the, the way that it's uh, laid out, all the books are not chronological. So some of the books that you read towards the end might have been written towards the beginning and all, out, all throughout. So in, in case you ever read and you're like, 
I, I could have swore that a couple of books before they were talking about the same thing. That's because it's not chronological. So James was one of the earliest writings, even though it's towards the end of the New Testament. Uh, and really, it's 12 short teachings that point to wholehearted devotion to Christ. Okay, so the way that the book is written is a lot of small segments. And I think that really does well for us, especially today, because we like little short snippets, right? Like, give me the, uh, give me the, give me the short of it. You know, just let me know, like, the bullet points. How many of you guys read blogs where basically you, you pull it up, and then you go look at all the bullet points, and if the bullet points catch you, then you go read until you get bored, right? <laughs> you know, just give, that's, that's how we eat nowadays. I mean, that's what we do is get, just get, you know, I don't have time to really delve deep, which is why we're going to take three months on the book of the Bible. <laughs> we're going to force ourselves to take time and move slowly. But, um, but 12 short teachings that point to wholehearted devotion to Christ. Now, there's really three focuses in the book of James. Three focuses. Number one is proverbial wisdom. Wisdom. And James teaches that God gives wisdom and we should apply that wisdom. Many people refer to James as uh, the Proverbs of the New Testament. Again, we like Proverbs, right? I mean, come on. Many of y'all, if you read a verse of the day, it's like I go to Proverbs, that's my verse of the day. And it's a good book, don't get me wrong. Uh, I mean, but we like it because it's short and quick and to the point and we can apply it quickly. Well, James is very similar to that. There's a whole lot of quick, uh, uh, you know, sentences and verses that are very concise and give us wisdom and we should apply those things. The second thing is that uh, one of the other focuses is prophetic correction. God gives the prophetic to the church to correct us and realign us with the heart of God. And that's how this book is. Again, uh, if, if, if somebody was to write a, a letter to the church today in the United States of America, much like uh, James is writing this letter to the, the Jews in Jerusalem during the time, again, there would be certain things that would be specific to that timeline. And that is a, that's, that's sort of a prophetic in nature. Reading the times, hearing what God wants to speak into that time, writing it and then delivering it. Again, that's why I refer to sermons in that way. Did you know that sermons aren't just to fill 30 minutes on a Sunday? They are literally like uh, uh, downloads from the heart of God through a person to you, right? That's really what it is. Uh, and it, it's prophetic in nature. And I don't know if you guys have ever been, maybe uh, obviously in this church you experienced this, but certain messages have certain tones to them. And sometimes those messages are, are very personal. It's about your own personal life. And so it applies, to, but other times it applies to a broad scope, uh, maybe even to cultural things. I know a couple of weeks ago, we shared about a lot of cultural things, cultural mindsets. And, and those things are spoken into the noise and they bring change and they adjust the way that we think, they adjust the way that we live. And I really believe that shows uh, some uh, sort of a prophetic edge to messages. I believe that the Bible is prophetic, obviously. And so the Bible brings change, not only in the, 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 the period of time that they were written, but it also applies to us. And so we've got to hear the voice of God in the book of James and we should embrace it. We should embrace it. The third thing is pastoral leadership. God gives pastoral leadership to the church to encourage and we should receive it. Pastoral, uh, a caring, loving approach to like, like, this is why you need to know this. We talk about this all the time. Uh, 
as, you, as a kid, you think that your parents are cool and good if they let you do whatever you want, right? Like, I mean, come on. You grow up, you, like, when you grew up, you, you had like your friends who had the cool parents. And if you went over there, you could do whatever you want. And now as an adult, you look back and you're like, they were terrible parents. You know what I'm saying? Literally, we could go over there. They would buy the keg. Like it was insane. You know what I'm saying? Like, they were cool parents. No, they were terrible parents. They were terrible. They actually didn't love their kids enough to put boundaries in place and communicate those boundaries. That's terrible. Maybe some of you, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take that. So look, some young people today, if you go to your friend's house because they are the cool parents and you can do whatever you want when you're there, man, pastorally, I'm loving you right now by saying they're actually not very good parents. Why? Because they're not looking ahead. They're not thinking ahead. They're not preparing you and their kids for the future. When it comes to pastoral leadership, many times pastors say this thing that you don't want to hear, but it's out of love because pastors love you and want to care for you. And literally it's a call of God upon their life to speak the thing that maybe nobody wants to say, but it needs to be said to bring correction, but it's out of a heart of love. James is very pastoral in the way that he approaches how to lovingly correct the people at the time. And so James is a book all about spiritual action, about having a living and genuine faith. And the thing about James is his theology is is pretty simple. It's pretty simple. It's not watered down, but it's pretty simple. I think things that are simple are actually genius. Whenever you're able to take large swaths of information and, and distill them down to something that's, that's easily manageable and understandable and communicable, like that takes genius. That takes uh, true intelligence. And James is able to do that and, uh, here in, in the book of James. But uh, he also, he challenges us to live authentically and with wisdom for Christ in many areas of our lives. And so there's really two primary reasons to study this letter. Number one is to examine the relationship between faith and works. Faith, and, and instead of works, you could even say obedience. And this is a big deal. And we deal with this as people every day. The tension between being saved by, by grace through faith, but then also by uh, living out what it is that we believe. And so some would say that faith and works are at odds with each other. They would say faith versus works. But if you've been around here any amount of time, you know that for us, we look at things in more of a both and light, not an either or light. Now we don't do well with both ands. We don't do with putting, putting things together because we see, that we see the contradictions or the contrast. And so when that happens, at times we wanna kind of cancel one side or, or remove one side. But actually, it's when they both come together, they're they're complementary, not contradictory. And so faith and works are not contradictory. They they, they complement. The writings of Paul and the writings of James are complement, they complement one another. And so we we don't have like this faith versus works. It's faith and works. And uh, the spiritual fruit that James talks about demonstrates the true faith of which Paul wrote. One person said this, that the book of James is a beautifully crafted punch in the gut for those of you that want to follow Jesus. So what did we just say though? We said uh, to, to apply it, to embrace it, right? And to receive it. So that loving punch to the gut, just, just uh, you know, let it build your abs up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like just strengthen your core. We need that. 
We need to be challenged. We need to be encouraged. We need the things that we think that we have so figured out. We need those things to be tested. And that's what the word of God does. That's what the book of James does. There are 14 references to faith and out of 108 verses, there are 59 different commandments, different commands. So, I mean, you can't read the book of James without running into something that's gonna mess with you, right? We like those kind of books. We like things, I mean, how, how many of y'all, okay, in our culture, we always talk about how we don't like to be told what to do, right? Like, don't tell me what to do. Let me live my life. But, but how many of you actually, you do like to be told what to do? Like, you like things to be clearly laid out to where you can do them, right? I think there's actually a lot of people that are like, no, man, just, just tell me what to do and I'll do it. You know, you're kind of like maybe the task, uh, the, 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 the uh, check, the mo- check the box people, the list people. You know what I'm saying? How many list people I got, right? Oh yeah, you love the lists. I hate lists, but you love the lists. And it's like, man, that way I could just, I can't. So a book of James, the book of James for you might be fulfilling. You're like, thank you for being so clear and honest and just telling me what to do so I can move on. For others who are more independent and don't tell me what to do, it's like, well, who are you, James, to tell me what to do? You know, who are you? And you're just a man, right? That's how a lot of people read the Bible. That's just a dude trying to figure it out too, right? And they, they de-emphasize the word to an equal uh, equality with what they think it should be. And so, um, but that's not the way that it is. James is inspired. But we like to be told what to do. This book is for those of you who like that. The second thing is to explore the impact of our faith on life in our community. In our community affects our life to where we could be, uh, make a difference where we live. He rebukes and encourages, but wants us to mature. Did you guys know that we should all be maturing in our relationship with God and in our faith? The, our, our walks, our, our relationships with God are not static. They are not, um, it's not like saying, you know, yes, and then that's it. It's saying yes today and yes, tomorrow, and yes, in five years, and yes, in 20 years, you never stop progressing. We like to equate this to marriage. Whenever you say, I do, at the altar, in front of God and in front of people, that's just the beginning. Like, that's the the gun in the race that just went off. And now every day through every trial, whenever your breath stinks or it doesn't, come on, you say, I do. You know what I'm talking about? Whenever you didn't think that it, was, that it is what you thought it would be, you say, I do. You continue to press in and move forward. You don't quit because you're committed to that marriage in the same way with our relationship with God. We're committed to Christ through the things that we understand. And, and, but that's the easy things. It's whenever we don't understand. That's whenever what we believe is really tested. And so, so he wants our faith to mature in order to make a difference. He wants us to be doers of the word, not just hearers, obedient followers, obedient followers. Why? Well, because our obedience is evidence of our submission to Christ. And that's where it gets difficult. Because there's a lot of things in my mind, in my heart, and in my heart that that you can't see. But the thing that you definitely can see is my actions. That's why we say actions speak louder than words, right? And that's why a lot of times, if we really mess up, 
we, we might say this phrase, man, that, yeah, I did that, but that wasn't me. Like that, that's not me. As some sort of defense, whenever in actuality, unfortunately, if it was a negative thing, that is you. We did a series a few years ago here called No, That Is You, right? No, 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 that is you. No, you said, you said it. You, no, you did it. That is you. So it's not about deflection. It's about owning it and repenting, right? That, that's the two things that we could do. We can either own it and say, I can't believe that I did it. I did though. I did. And then you humble yourself and you repent. Most of the times what we go to is justification. You know, let me give you the seven, point, the seven reasons of why I did that. And maybe you'll see it from my angle. You know, no, 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 no. Our obedience is evidence of our submission. And the last thing we want to talk about here is James Lord. Let's talk about James Lord. In James chapter one, verse one, he says this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Now, that one verse actually has a lot in it. In his introduction of himself, he calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, the brother of Jesus, calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James, by the time that he writes this book, is his identity is in Christ. Who he is is framed up by who Jesus says that he is, not his title, not his friends, not his family, but he is a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is really, I think, what James wants us to be, holy, devoted, sincerely surrendered uh, people of God, holy to the Lord. But this submission to Jesus for James is predicated on a deep-seated belief that Jesus is who he says that he is. Because James initially struggled with this. He struggled with this. If we look back and we read in, in Mark chapter three, it says, then he went home. This is obviously the beginning of Jesus's ministry. And it says that a crowd gathered again so that they, they could not even eat. It's just crammed in. People wanna hear what Jesus has to say. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him for they were saying he is out of his mind. All right, so picture it, picture it. Jesus, again, James, little brother of Jesus. Jesus walks in water, James sinks, right? He's gotta swim away, <laughs> all of that good stuff. He gets older, Jesus begins to teach. People are coming to hear him and it's getting crowded. People are wanting to know what he has to say. And it gets to a point where his family is not excited about what's going on in Jesus's life. They're not really open to what Jesus is saying. No, on the contrary, whenever everybody's pressing in, they like want to grab him. Like, I mean, can you imagine? Like almost like embarrassed about him, right? Like, like Jesus, get over, get over here. Get back inside. What are you talking about? Why is everybody here? And they actually thought that Jesus was out of his mind. Now, you would think that those who were closest to Jesus, those that grew up with him, would have received what he had to say more than anybody else. But come on, y'all. We know that familiarity breeds contempt, don't we? The 
people that you're closest to are the ones that you tend to believe or trust or whatever or honor the least. It's the same thing with James and Jesus. James is like, man, I don't know what my big brother's doing, but he's saying some weird stuff. And like, I just wish that he would kind of like pipe it down a little bit, you know? I might be adding to, to the story a little bit, but honestly, guys, I think that, I mean, one thing I know is that people don't change. People don't change. So the same pride and, and, and issues that we deal with today, people dealt with then. We just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. And so this family dynamic that they had was tough. They thought he was out of his mind. And so we see James at one point of his life is more ashamed of Jesus. Uh, and, and I think they struggle with that in a, big, in a big way. They struggle with the idea that Jesus was the Messiah, that Jesus was the one that they had learned about their whole life, right? All of these prophetic things that they had heard about that Jesus, my brother, my son is the fulfillment of that. Like, oh, that's getting hard to believe. But then we look at 1 Corinthians 15 and it says, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, Jesus, most of whom are, who are still alive. They are not still alive right now, okay? This was 1 Corinthians. <laughs> Some of you were like, <laughs> no way. Anyway. Verse seven, <laughs> then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. See, this is the moment. This was the moment where it changed for James, I believe, when Jesus appeared to James, post-resurrection, right? Same thing happened with Thomas. And I can imagine a whole lot of other people. When Jesus died on the cross, they, they thought it was done. Our Messiah is dead. All the things that he said, he just, he just lost. He j it just proved that he wasn't who he said he was, but then he came back to life. And that was like, the, that was the exclamation point on what Jesus had taught. That is actually what proved it. In, in the word here we see also, Paul says that if it wasn't for this resurrection, that we would be people to be pitied. Hey guys, listen, if Jesus wasn't resurrected from the dead, everything that we're doing is pointless. This is really weird, what we're doing right now. Talking about a dead guy. No, no, that's not what we're doing. We're talking about Jesus, the son of God, Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, died a terrible death to pay the price for us, for our sin and our brokenness, to carry our cross, to go into the grave, to defeat death and come back by the power of God and be resurrected so that we can be resurrected as well. That's the gospel. That's what we believe. And without that, this is just weird. And for James, he was like, everything my brother's saying is weird. Guys, look, the signs and wonders that Jesus performed for people did not prove things to people. Some of you are praying, you're praying, God, if I could just see you heal my mom, if I could just see you raise that person up from this, or if, I could, if you would just do this, then I would believe. And I would beg to differ with you. Because there were people who literally walked side by side with Jesus as he opened blind eyes and you know, deaf ears and raised people from the dead and performed, he knew things he shouldn't have known. And those people that experienced that firsthand, 
Guess what they did? They, they, they applied maybe some logic. Well, that, that was just a fluke. Some said that he did it by the power of Satan, not by the power of God. Some people still do that today. Signs and wonders that happen, they say, well, that's just demonic. Eerily similar to those who crucified Jesus. We must be careful whenever we say those things. So James sees these signs and wonders and you would think that if he saw these great things happen that he would be, you know, without a shadow of a doubt, but no, there was something he's just not quite sure. But the resurrection takes place. And and James goes from a a skeptic. Some of y'all today watching online here in this place, you're a skeptic. Actually, I'm pretty skeptical as well. So we probably would get along pretty well. James goes from a skeptic to a servant of Jesus. He even had to jump over the hurdle of him being his little, his big brother. I mean, he had an extra thing in place, but James, by the grace of God, serves Jesus. James put his faith in Jesus. Now in this room today, watching online, we all have faith. The question is, who is the object or what is the object of your faith? We all have faith. We all have a system of belief, a system of understanding, and and we have this this faith, and we are placing that faith in something or someone. Every Every single one of us is. Faith is not just a religious thing. Faith is a life thing. Like, if you're breathing right now, you are faithing as well. You're putting your faith in your own understanding, maybe Maybe for some people you would say, I'm putting my faith, I believe in science, right? Like I believe in, I believe in logic. I believe in things that I can prove. I believe in things that I can touch and taste and smell and see and feel. Like I believe in those things. Very naturalistic view of the world. We're all believing in something. That's why the Bible says in Hebrews 11, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. This first step of faith, placing your faith in God, that he exists, it is the first step of having a relationship with God. It's the first step of walking with God, truly. And James struggled with that. He struggled with this belief but eventually he gave his life to Jesus. Now here's the kicker. Eventually James ends up dying as a martyr. He was martyred for the cause of Christ. He goes from a skeptic to a servant and at the end of his life, he dies for the cause of Christ. And there's a couple of different accounts that you can read about how James died. Um, all of them, no matter what, point to the fact that he, was, he died because he believed in Jesus and he was proclaiming that, that Jesus was who he said that he was. But one account says that James um, was dealing with the religious leaders at the time and, and there was a lot of animosity, obviously, between mes- uh, Messianic Jews and Jews and, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they all kind of had their own thing that they were fighting for. But it comes to a point where they want James, a prominent leader in, in the church, to denounce Jesus. And so the story basically goes where James is, uh, they, they, they tell James, hey, hey, turn from Jesus. And actually the way that we want you to do this is to go to the top of the temple 
and proclaim to everyone that Jesus is not basically who he said that he was. And, and the story goes, it's almost like James sort of went along with it. And James goes to the top of the temple, which I think it's, it's strange how the story goes where that's exactly where Jesus was as well. But he goes to the top of the temple and, and this account says that he does the opposite. That he actually proclaims that Jesus is who he says that he is. And they end up pushing him over the temple. And the fall doesn't kill him. And he gets to his knees. By the way, James, they also refer to him as camel knees because his knees were so leathered from kneeling and praying. And he went to his knees and he asked God to forgive those for what they were doing to him because they just didn't understand what was going on. And then they began to stone him and they eventually killed him. Such a powerful story, such a powerful man, filled with the, the power of God to accomplish the work that God had for him. And so, you know, today, if you find yourself as a person who's far from God, maybe there's a lot of doubt and unbelief in your life and in your heart. This is a great place to be, to work that out. This is a safe place to be, to work that out. James was right connected to the hip of Jesus. Basically, they grew up together but yet he still struggled with some of those beliefs. And so I don't want you to feel maybe out of place in that regard because all of us are working through certain things. However, this, this, there's, a, there's a crossroads when, when it comes to crossing over from skepticism to servanthood. And I believe that God's dealing with all of us in certain ways today. And I believe for some of you, God is dealing with you about your relationship with him. And so right now I want to pray with each of you, no matter where you're at. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, we, we pray to you right now and we ask that you would open up our eyes and our ears to hear and to understand who you are. Jesus, that, that we would not be skeptics, but God, that we would be servants. Right now, God, we just open up our hearts to you, that you would search us, that you would challenge us. Ultimately, God, we wanna draw closer to you and we know that you're faithful and that you will draw close to us. So God, whether we are far from you right now or whether we're close, God, there are multiple things in our life that we know that need to be dealt with. So God, right now we just say, search our hearts convict us where we're wrong if you're in this place or watching online and you're far from God you don't know him you don't have a relationship with, with God you, you've never actually really put your faith in Jesus Christ in this moment this is a moment where you can say yes to Jesus this is between you and God it's, it's, it's not me and you it's, it's you and and it's Jesus. If that's you, just say, Lord, forgive me. I surrender my life to you. All that I have to give, it's yours. I believe in Jesus. I thank you for your forgiveness. I receive your righteousness. Your righteousness, not mine. Take my life. I give it to you freely. Right now, I wanna pray for all of us one more time. 
God, we know that you have a call on our lives, even those who just surrender their hearts to you. God, you have a purpose. Father, we are in today. We're here today in this moment, but God, you, you see this moment, but God, you also know what's happening in the next moment. You know what's going to happen to us. You know the day of our death. God, you, you have it all planned. It's your sovereign will. And we submit to your will. God, we know that we have a part to play in this journey. And so God, I pray that you prepare our hearts. God, that the next three months as we move through this book, God, that we would come out on the other side of this study, that we would come out on the other side of studying this book and we would be changed. God, where some of us have leaned into faith and faith and, and it, it never transitions into affecting our, the way that we live and in our obedience. God, I pray for conviction that we would move forward in the process of sanctification. God, for those who are all about the works, they're all about doing the right thing, but yet they lack the, the understanding and the focus of, of who Jesus is and what he's done and putting their faith in the finished work of Christ. God, I'm praying that you would help those to, to really bring to life in their life, that you would bring to life the gospel, the good news of Jesus, that God, you have done it all for us. So we don't have to strive improperly, but God, we can lean into your grace. So Father, this series, let this be a, a stake in the ground for this church and for every person here to follow you with obedience and holiness. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you're gonna do in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, come on, Scott. Come on, church, can we give it up for Jesus this morning? Can we give it up for those who made a decision to follow Christ this morning? For those who are letting God change and revolutionize their life today. Come on, my name is Scott. I get the honor of serving here at Northwood and I am ready for a beautiful gut check. Anybody else? I'm ready for a beautiful gut punch. That's, I'm that guy. I'm the guy that just give it, shoot me straight. And if sometimes people want to talk and talk and talk, like just, just tell me what you need me to do. That's me. Uh, even though I'm the boss, I just, I like to shoot it straight too. But doing what I do, I, I shoot it straight and I hope everybody else shoots me straight too. So I am looking forward to the next few months of just studying uh, these, these, these things. I don't know. I'm trying to put them all in there for you, but I'm looking forward to it. So listen, I wanted to share a couple of things with you. Listen, if today you made a decision to follow Christ or you made a decision for something new to happen in your life, you want to take your next steps. I want to encourage you guys to reach to the front, the front of the seat pocket in front of you guys. There's a next steps card there. If you're online, you can go to northwood.church forward slash next steps. And I want you to be able to take that card out and fill it out. We've got a great team here. They want to be able to pray with you, talk to you, make sure we can encourage you and answer any questions that you may have. If you're here with us, you can drop that off in the very back of the auditorium here. If you're online, again, just fill that out, click submit. One of our pastors will be in touch with you very soon. As well as if you've got any prayer requests, uh, there's a spot right there on the very back for prayer requests. You can fill that out, drop that off. And again, one of our teams, we're going to be praying for you this week and want God to bless you and do some amazing things with you and for you. Also, if you're here in our auditorium, we have an amazing prayer team that will be here. They're going to be all across the front of this, this stage here. If you need somebody to pray with you, to agree with you, to believe God for the miraculous in your life, we've got a great team. They want to be here for you, to love on you and to serve you and bless you this morning. 
Also, if you're a part of our Northwood family, we have, as always, two ways to give. You can give online, northwood.church forward slash giving, or you can also go snail mail with that. You can mail that in, and we'll be happy to take care of that for you as well. As Northwood, we have uh, many, many great things that we do here financially because of your giving. One of those things uh, that we want to highlight this week is going to be our Gulf Coast Community Ministries. They are, they're here in the Mississippi South Gulf Coast area, providing nutritional needs, physical needs for those who are impoverished or might need those help. So thank you guys for giving. Can we give it up for all those who just give and support the work of God here at Northwood Church? We're so thankful for you guys so that we couldn't do what we do without you guys and what you do for that. Well, last thing, this week, uh, most of you guys will have Community Week, which I want to remind you guys to listen. This is a time that you guys get to love on each other. Maybe not be so caught up in the, in the, in the book of James as we're in, but you may have that time to just go out and have a nice bite to eat. It may be a backyard barbecue. I've heard some people doing the axe throwing. I've heard go-kart racing. I've heard all sorts of things. So this week, those of you, we just hope you guys have a great week in your Community Week, and we look forward to seeing you guys next Sunday. Have a great week.